Hi, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms and all those of you who have mothers. <laughs> Just pretty much everybody. I'm so glad that you're here with us. A beautiful day out there. And if you haven't noticed, there's tea and scones for everybody when you walk in. So make sure that you grab one of those on your way out because I don't want to take them home with me. Thank you very much. So anyway, I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, today I'm starting a new series, um, and I'm going to talk about it in just a minute, but I want to tell you a little story before, before I start, and it, it does involve, um, at one part, my mother, so stay tuned. <clears throat> I grew up in Michigan, on the west side of Michigan, not too far from the Big Lake, and uh, I grew up in a little town where if you were uh, a child... Um, you not only played in your yard, you played in your neighbor's yards too, and there was nobody yelling at you about, hey, you kids, get off my lawn, right? We just didn't have that. I mean, we kind of expected the fact that the neighbor kids were going to play in our yard too, and, and, uh, and it seemed like everybody kind of enjoyed that. <clears throat> I think I was in high school, maybe early college. I was living at home, and one summer day, it was a hot summer day, and yes, it does get warm in Michigan. We don't live in igloos. I don't know, maybe Pastor Dan did, because he grew up in Michigan. No, actually, I live north north of you. So I know if I didn't, I know he didn't. So anyway, uh, it was a hot summer day, and there was a group of five or six kids in our neighborhood playing with squirt guns. And I thought, oh, that's too good to pass up. So I found an old squirt gun that I had and went outside. And like I said, I was probably, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. And I was shooting squirt guns. And and a firefight started in my yard and the neighbor's yard. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, the people expected the young kids to be running back and forth, not, you know, some teenager, right? And at one point during the said firefight, I was running away from this pack of kids armed with super soakers. And I ran around the corner of my house and propped up against the garage was a ladder. And my dad had been cleaning out the gutter and he had left the ladder there. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I remember reading that strategic advantage goes to the one who holds the high ground. So I scrambled up that ladder, got on top of the roof, and rained down, quite literally, on my opponents. And they were laughing and giggling, and I was too, and it was a lot of fun, until the pack of kids, led by an alpha named Teddy, decided that their squirt guns couldn't reach me, and so they decided to go do something else. So there I am on on my roof, reveling in my victory. And I turned around and I started to head towards the ladder at the back side of the, of the, the roof. And I, I noticed something about the ladder. The ladder looked a lot more rickety going down than it did coming up. It's amazing what adrenaline will do to your perspective, right? So um, the roof of, this, of our garage was nine feet, maybe ten feet off the ground. But I'm six foot tall. So that means as I'm looking down, I am fully 16 feet above the earth. And what I failed to mention earlier is that I am uncomfortable with heights. 
looking at the ladder, I'm looking down. So I did the natural thing, I sat down on the roof. And the yard's over there, edge of the garage, me, ladder. And my brain asks me the question, what are you doing? To which I reply, I don't know. (laughs) Because that ladder doesn't look too safe at this point. And so I'm contemplating how I'm going to get down, thinking, okay, now, I, 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 I know, it's only about nine feet. I think I can make it without breaking something. I think I can just, you know, kind of jump down. And my body's like, Mm-mm, no, no, you're not doing that. That would be silly. And as I'm sitting there thinking about this, I hear a tapping sound. Our house was built in the 50s. And so if you think about this, there's actually two buildings. There's the garage, and then there's the house, and there's a breezeway in between. You know what I'm talking about? One of those little breezeways, little porch kind of thing. And so as I'm on the, on the roof of the garage, on the back side of the house, the actual house itself extends over here. And standing in the window of one of the bedrooms is my mother tapping on the glass. And she's mouthing the words to me, what are you doing? (laughs) To which I reply, I don't know. (laughs) And flooding into my memory is the old Bill Cosby routine about children, teenagers with brain damage. I don't know how I'm doing it. Fear is a monster, isn't it? Fear makes us do things that we don't really want to do. It keeps us from doing things that we know we ought to be doing, and it can just paralyze us, freeze us with fear. Now, there's a little part of your brain that it kind of governs that whole fight or flight, or in my case, freeze response to the events that are going on around us. It is one of those things where you just kind of wonder, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because you have this very serious emotion that that goes on inside of you. Turns out, uh, doing a little research, there's five categories of fear. And uh, let me just kind of kind of walk through these a little bit, and this will make sense to you. The first category is the fear of death, or I think the 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 uh, uh, official term is fear of extinction. I like in fear of death a little bit better. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I understand that. And, and the second one is, is kind of akin to it. It's pain and suffering. Most phobias that people have are related to these two categories of fear. Certainly as I'm <clears throat> uncomfortable with heights, I am, of course, afraid of pain and suffering and that I'm going to like land on my head and, and cause permanent damage at that point. <clears throat> The third category is loss of control. We do fear this sense of loss of control. If you're claustrophobic, you know exactly what this is like. There is a certain fear associated. It's very real. The fourth one is um, uh, uh, fear of rejection. That it's, a, it's almost a social fear that you're not going to like me. And, of course, the top one is a fear of shame or humiliation that not only am I afraid that you're not going to like me, that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Five categories of fear. And I think this is quite helpful. This is helpful for us to understand these emotions that 
we, we all have. Because if you can categorize it, then you can kind of think your way through it critically about what's going and maybe challenge some of those fears. But let's be honest, we live in a scary world. Internationally, um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, you can read it in the news or on TV. Nationally, there are some things that are happening that gives me pause to go, whoa, what's that all about? And even locally, there are things that happen. I mentioned this before. There's a, an app um, it's called the Nextdoor app. Do you have, any of you have this on your phone? Yeah, it's a really kind of a, a neat social type of thing, but it connects you to the people in your actual neighborhood. And so very often you get um, the kinds of, of things that say, um, hey, I've lost my dog, or I found a dog, or I need to have a certain type of lawn service done, do you know anybody? And it's just a great way of actually connecting those uh, the uh, people together so that they can share that information. But I've noticed something on my Nextdoor app just recently that kind of has me concerned is just there's been a number of break-ins to people's cars and trucks. And you just probably see one of those once a week now. I didn't notice that before. And then, of course, most of us remember just a few short months ago, three young men tragically killed as they broke into a home and the homeowner met them with a rifle. People are scared about that kind of stuff. And rightly so. It is a scary environment. And so one of the things that we thought we might want to talk about is fear. What do we do with fear? Because one of the, one of the things that we want to make sure that we're doing, not just as a church, but as Christian people, is to really dive into the fact that this is real faith for real life. If those two things don't match up, I'm not sure what the point is. So we want to make sure that we're, we're connecting um, this idea of faith with real life, or, or sometimes what we call in real time. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to go into the text and gain a little bit of insight here. So I'm going to be in the book of 2 Kings. I invite you, if you have a Bible, to join me there. It's in the Old Testament, 2 Kings. Um, there's a first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles, and they basically talk about the same stuff from different perspectives. Problem is, is that it makes the Bible really hard to read, you know, chronologically. But second Kings is where I'm going to be, specifically in chapter six. <clears throat> I'm going to read this beginning in verse number eight, and I'm going to kind of make some comment as we go along. And then, um, then we're going to uh, try to, uh, I'll try to offer some thoughts on it, okay? So, 2 Kings, chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha, who is the man of God, warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now, let's hit the pause button. Aram is in modern day Syria. 
Isn't it amazing how we still have conflict in that part of the world? This is conflict that's been going on for some 3,000 years. It probably isn't going to get solved with a handshake. I'm just saying. Not that you know, Jesus can't do something about that, but there's a history of conflict here. So the king of Aram is making war on the king of Israel. <clears throat> and what's happening here is, is, is quite fascinating. Is that Elisha, the prophet of God, is giving divine intelligence to the king of Israel, right? He's going here, and so the king of Israel says, well, I'm going to go the other way. Or he's going to be prepared when he goes to that place. As you can imagine, this would make the king of Aram a little angry. In fact, it says in verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? In other words, he's looking for a mole. He's looking for a spy in his camp. Who is providing the intelligence to the king of Israel so that I cannot defeat him? Because after a while, it's not just coincidence. You know that there's something up. Verse 12. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, I have to admit, I need to do a little digging on that because that seems uh, a little bit odd. The point is here that not only is the king of Israel getting this divine intelligence, but it is very intimate in nature. It is very detailed. Now, verse 13. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Interesting. So, they do a little reconnaissance. They find out where Elisha is. And he sends a large force. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. He sent horses and chariots. First of all, in ancient Israel, ancient Near East, horses and chariots represented a couple of things. First of all, it represented the wealth of the king because they were very expensive. That kind of technology was expensive. A chariot would be the equivalent of the modern-day battle tank. You could have one driver driving the horses, and you could have one, maybe two people in the chariot with you, actually um, with weapons um, on the offensive. Does that make sense? So this, this gives you a distinct advantage on the battlefield. The same thing is true with horses. Horses' cavalry moves very quickly, uh, can uh, move large forces, uh, to different parts of the battlefield uh, quicker than you can with people on foot. Uh, people on, on foot. Now, what's interesting is that earlier on in, in the text, one of the things that God demands of Israel is that they have no horses and no chariots. Why? So they cannot take credit for their own victory. So not only do you have horses and chariots on the other side, it is very likely that there are no horses and chariots on the side of Israel. So not only are we talking about a strong force, we are talking about a much 
more technologically advanced for us. This is a very, very dangerous set of circumstances. Does that make sense? We need to heighten that so that we understand what's going on here a little bit. Let's continue, continue reading because this is really funny. I think it's funny. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horse chariots had surrounded the city. <laughs> There's different ways of reading this. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Or, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? <laughs> right? I don't know which it is. It depends on where you put the comma. The servant asked. But imagine this. I mean, this is a perfectly natural response. He looks out and he sees this technically uh, advanced force surrounding the city. And he's like, what are we going to do? We've been found out. Because you know the servant understands what's going on and what's at stake here. And, and you can hear the fear in his voice, can't you? I mean, he's about to die. Of course he's going to be a little bit afraid. Oh, what are we going to do? And I love this. Look at, look at the next line. <clears throat> Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if I were the servant of the man of God at this point, I'd look over and say, what, you've been drinking? Holy smokes, listen to that. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I need to kind of hit the pause button here for a second. We need to go back just a couple of chapters. Go to 2 Kings chapter 2. I want you to see something. Let's start with verse 1. I want, I want, you to, I want to read this. And see if this begins to make sense. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Okay, so we have two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. I remember when I was a kid, that was very confusing to me. There are two separate people, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah had been a prophet in Israel for a long period of time and he was a miracle-working prophet. And so Elisha was his apprentice. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Chapter, uh, verse 5, the company of the prophets at Jericho. See, there's seminaries all along the way. Those are the first seminaries, right? And the seminary out of Jericho, the company of the prophets at Jericho went to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of, of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah, Elijah sorry, said to Elisha, Tell me, 
What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Amazing response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now, please understand, in this case, this was not an odd request. Because in that day and age, the firstborn son of the patriarch would receive a double portion of the inheritance. Why? So he could set up a new household and care for all of the people in his father's household. So what Elisha is asking for is, I still have to take care of the people around me. Please give me a double portion of the spirit that you have received. It's a beautiful request. It's not selfish. However, he does say this, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, not. In other words, Elisha, pay attention. Pay very close attention to what's going on. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart out of grief. Keep that in mind. Because here's what happens over in chapter 6. They're surrounded. And what what does Elijah say? Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Isn't that amazing? What an image that would be. He looks out and where the servant saw fear, Elisha had this image that would be forever etched in his mind and he prayed that his servant could see the same thing that he saw. It's a powerful, powerful thing. It's a fascinating fascinating story. There's there's danger here. And the servant reacted like most of us probably would. But I think the one thing that Elisha shows us, all of us, is that there's more to life than just what we see. There's more to it than that. There's something else there. Um, I was in a discussion with someone a long time ago, and uh, one of the things that... um, Christians are often accused of is that we're closed-minded, which I find kind of funny because I hold out hope that there is something beyond just this physical realm, that there is something more, there's something that we cannot possibly see. So who's open-minded, closed-minded now? kind of wonder that. But there is this other realm that we don't fully understand and we get glimpses of it here and there and Elisha shows us that. And I think that one of the things that we as Christians do is to to try to not only stay open to something else but also to provide that possibility for other people to experience, to offer um, a different point of view on things. 
In fact, I, I would argue this. Next slide. Fear requires a spiritual perspective if you're going to deal with it effectively. If you're going to deal with fear, which is a very real thing with real consequences to your real life that you experience every single day, it requires a spiritual perspective on it. Because let's be, let's be honest, fear can be crushing. I mean, it can, it can overwhelm you. And you, you can despair. But a spiritual per- perspective allows you to see that there's something beyond this. There are still horses and chariots of fire. There's still that possibility out there. And I would say that a fearful world is desperate for a spiritual point of view. Desperate for it. The reality of real life, unfortunately, doesn't mean that trouble will not come to us. Because it will. The fact is, we live in a fallen and broken world and nobody gets out unscathed, right? It's very, very true. We're still going to have pain. We're still going to have suffering. Those certainly are things to be afraid of. But I want you to keep in mind, not only the fact that there is a spiritual reality as well, but also I'm going to give you the words of another prophet, a man named Isaiah. And he spoke to a group of, of, of people who were in captivity, who were in exile, Here's what it says, but now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So even if there is tragedy, even if there is something that happens that's painful, even if we experience the worst of the worst when it comes to fear, God still redeems. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection. The worst fear you can have, the fear of death, yeah, God took care of that one too. And that's a hopeful thought. That is, I would say, Good news. And I want to make sure that we are always thinking about good news. So there is this spiritual reality, one that we can't see. And we have to push back that flood of fear. God, who is often just beyond our perception, is working for good. We must believe that. And the God who redeems even the most tragic of circumstances, death itself is on your side. Mm. That's some powerful, powerful words. So my challenge for you this week is think about what are you afraid of? We're going to be talking about it for the next couple of weeks. And ask yourself, is there a spiritual reality that's beyond this? Is there something else to learn? Is there something else that God's trying to teach me through it? And my... my, my Suspicion is the answer is yes. 